Record with Furniture Today, a podcast that goes behind the headlines to look at the news and the newsmakers, the people and the personalities that give the furniture industry its unique flavor. I'm your host, Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. Hi, I'm Trisha Yearwood, and you're tuned to Furniture Today's On the Record podcast with Bill McLaughlin. Before we turn to Bill and his guests, I just want to give a shout out to the entire Furniture Today team and remind you that when there's something exciting to announce, you'll read about it first in Furniture Today. And now, here's Bill McLaughlin and On the Record. Welcome to On the Record. I'm Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. My guest this week is Steen Kanika, Director of U.S. Marketing for Bone Concept. It's an international functional furniture franchise uh, with 11 stores in the United States, and some real exciting new developments to talk about. Steen, thank you for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Mm. Um, first off the bat, I'm just going to correct you. We have oh. 14 stores in U.S. Oh, I, <laughs> terrific. I, that's that's yeah. an exciting mistake to have more than it I said. It is exciting, <laughs> and we will be 15 in a few months. We are, we have broken ground and will open in Berkeley, California, uh, First week of January, what it looks like right now. Uh, yeah, if if uh, the virus is willing and the fires don't uh, intervene, right? Exactly. There's a lot of unknowns on that one, but it looks uh, very good right now. So um, in addition to the expansion of stores, you recently have uh, here in the U.S. added e-commerce for the first time. When, tell me about how that uh, came about. Well, it's really... Um, you know, yeah. Well, as we all know, um, unfortunately, the whole uh, pandemic happened here last winter, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, as you can hear on my accent, I'm Danish, right? Uh, the same as the company. Uh, so I have a very good Danish proverb, which is basically saying that necessity teaches a naked woman to spin, <laughs> or say necessity is the mother of invention. I guess it's a more common English version. And that's really what triggered this. We have had e-commerce in Europe, but we have not introduced it in the U.S. for uh, several years. There's a lot of reasons why we didn't do that. But obviously, when our store network closed down in March, in the entire store network, uh, we were a little bit like, oh, my God, what are we going to do here? Because we, you obviously still had clients. Uh, we still had... <laughs> Yeah, all the things we needed to sell, we are franchisee-based, so we wanted to make sure that our franchisees were taken care of in this. So we made a very, very, very quick introduction. It took us about two weeks. So while it is not a full-fledged e-commerce, um, we did a few strategic ideas here. So it is, uh, I call it, let's say, a hybrid e-com light version. And, and what that means is basically that we still connect with the customer or the client uh, after they have made their so-called purchase or it's more of a quotation, and then we fulfill it there. And one of the reasons here is because we're so customized and uh, have very modular products. So it is important that we have, let's say, the right uh, configuration from the client so we don't do mistakes in the supply line that backwards. So it was really um, the pandemic forced our hands. Um, so there's always a silver lining, I guess. Um, and we uh, was up and running by April the 2nd. So it was a very quick turnaround that required, obviously, from here on the U.S. side, but also back at headquarters in Denmark to you know, ramp up and uh, remove red tape uh, and whatever you have in a corporate environment. So very exciting, actually. 
one of the most fun projects I've been working on <laughs> I, and, in the company. And one of the fastest two weeks is a remarkable turnaround. Um, I mean, a lot of companies can't get an email from point A to point B in two weeks. But, but I think that that's a little bit of what I alluded to that is that when you, not in a panic mode, but as, uh, I would almost yeah say it was a panic mode. How are we going to do this? So you removed so many lines of, red tape when you have to do this is basically say okay we just gonna have to do it we can't sit around and strategize for months and you know so it became very short um lines of communication and yeah the good thing with that uh which is uh, wow always for whatever business i've ever worked in it's always been better when you can uh, avoid the prolonged discussions because many times uh that muddles the picture so it was uh, in two weeks in all fairness, uh, as I said, we have had e-commerce or we have e-commerce in Europe. So it was not completely from scratch. But it was um, <clears throat> obviously a very quick turnaround here where we had to uh, make sure that we could support our network. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious with a, a network around the country of uh, 14 stores and, and a franchise model. How did you integrate that with the individual stores? How, how did you communicate what's their role and, and what is the corporate role um, in fulfilling that? And um, how did that, you know, what's the interplay yeah. there, the mechanism? Yeah, well, uh, on, on the top level, it's basically uh, the franchise all as in us, um, if I may say so. Uh, we obviously did the, the functionality and all that, but all the fulfillment is, hap uh, is happening at the store level. So what we have done, uh, and again, slightly crude way, but uh, when an order comes in, depending on where that order comes from, the zip code, we take the Google map distance to the nearest store, and that store then owns that client and that, uh, say, order. And that was really to make it uh, the most fair way. So we, as a franchise, all do not have a, so-called stake in fulfilling it that is down to the store level down to the employees uh, the sales associates the design consultants uh, we have in the store to make sure the client was serviced and had their order fulfilled um, there so there's no margins or anything taken on our end it's all happening at the store level and one of the good things with that is also that uh, you, as you can imagine in many being a capital change, all franchisee models, uh, the the employees are worried that their commission, because the, our design consultants do work on commission, are afraid that e-commerce is going to disrupt their, let's say, income <laughs> income stream. But that is not the case in, in our world. We wanted to make sure that the, the people who are handling it is also getting the, the normal commission from that one. So it became it was a, it was a very very easy process in that I mean obviously there was a lot of work going into it but the, there was nobody who had major objections because we were not trying to they put something on top of um, of the network we're basically saying okay it, you own the clients you have to fulfill it and it is your order and it is your commission so so that became very uh, frictionless um, introduction. It sounds like in some ways that you have the ability to bring clients to the stores that they might not otherwise have had access to. I mean, typically a store has a kind of a catchment radius, right? An area for a certain number of square miles um, in which they draw most of their consumers. And particularly if there's no e-commerce, um, 
they they rarely will draw much outside that radius. Here, with now a transactional website, it, have you noticed that um, that it actually brings the store more more exposure, more people? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and I think that is one of the obviously, and I think any uh, e-tailer, uh, e so to speak, will see that. Uh, so what we saw immediately was that very interestingly, we had areas where we have previously had stores but have not had it for several years, uh, being in Texas, in Dallas, Austin, and Houston, or in Chicago. Uh, immediately, we started getting clients from there. So it it turned out that in our database, we had you know a lot of so-called lapsed clients. And when we then offered the e-com solution for them, they kind of got reignited. So yes, that um, the footprint of our stores expanded rapidly. So so that that has been a now that the store network is open, it's it's a very positive because that's almost like on top of sales that we have basically sold to any state in the United States right now. Um, we are not delivering up in Alaska, unfortunately, and not in Hawaii either. That is more of a logistic issue, but in the and now you have to excuse my English here. Is it continent? I can't say it. Continental. Yeah. Okay. That that's <laughs> thank <Yes>. you. <laughs> uh, so we have basically pretty much covered all of the United States in terms of where we have found new clients. So that is very exciting for us. Um, it it addition to that that we get let's say expand the network. It also because we are franchisee based. Yeah, and you're always looking for potential new business partners, um, it, it kind of illuminates where we have a higher demand versus other places, if you, if you get my drift here. Um, so it kind of puts a light on what areas of the United States seems to have a higher propensity for our type of product, which is, in all fairness, a more niche product. It's modern. It's Scandinavian. It is not uh, the traditional look and feel of, um, let's say, the 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 traditional American furniture. So very, it, it, it has shown a light of a lot of interesting ideas we are now working on in, in different projects. Well, it, it must have worked. Um, I'm looking here in October, your sales were up 31%. Mm -hmm. um, your sales in the U.S. have been up 19%. Now, I'm, I'm curious, when you say sales are up 19%, is that year over year? Or is that um, the last three months since October? Because I'm curious, you know, what impact that period of closing had, right? You have to make up a lot of lost ground there. Yeah, we, that is correct. That is correct. So so on the, on the index numbers you're mentioning, it is a comparable sales versus last year. So year over year, correct. Uh, there is a slight, we're actually pretty much up to speed now versus last year in total. Um, so it has been an amazing uh, opening. Uh, it's a little bittersweet, I must say, from a personal perspective, uh, if I may just segue into it, on the furniture side, where we are our segment, we cater obviously to a, uh, let's say, uh, it, it, we don't sell cheap furniture, so to speak. So the, the market, uh, normally our target group is more the white color people uh, not necessarily white color but people you know who who makes a reasonable amount of money but this pandemic is very regressive so I, I feel almost bad saying it goes so well I mean October we are up 28% versus last year which is 
pretty amazing. I would never have guessed that. But that comes with a little bittersweet feeling that <clears throat> millions of people are hurting, right? And we are doing so well. So, so that's a little, I feel on a personal level, that's a little problematic. But obviously, from a business perspective, it's fantastic. Uh, we have done excellent the last four months since we opened the network. We have probably the strongest business uh, we have had. Uh, store traffic is down significantly. It's slowly recouping. Um, from just for perspective, we were indexed 50 in July on store traffic, and we have now slowly gained a chunk of it back. We are in October index 73, so um, still down significantly, close to 30% in store traffic, uh, like foot traffic. Uh, but sales are way up. So that's, you know, that's very nice from a business perspective. I've heard that from a number of retailers that that store traffic is down, but conversion rates are through the roof. So when people do come into the store, they have an intent. They're not just window shopping. They're not, as we say, um, sometimes here in the U.S., kicking the tires. You know, I mean, just kind of browsing. But um, they have an intent. They're they're ready to buy, and they have something specific in mind. Is that what you're finding as well? Well, yeah. I mean, I think you're you're absolutely correct there because what happens? I mean, as you probably also know, the research why previously had said, oh, you roughly if you're buying a sofa, you would have to go to the store three point eight times, or roughly four times. Now it is they come in the first time they visit the store, they are ready to buy. They know what they're gonna get, or not what they're gonna get. They know what they want to purchase. They have researched it online. They have been on our website. They have done the configurations. So they are literally, the hit rate uh, is way up. Um, so that is very true. Uh, that's, in many ways, it's obviously concerning for a store owner saying, okay, my store traffic is down. How am I going to survive this? On the other hand, you can argue that, well, you're not getting the tire kickers. <laughs> you're not getting the, the traffic that's going to, and again, I don't mean that in a disparaging way, but you don't get the the time wasting of people just looking and browsing. Uh, although it so that's gone. It's it's very much a purchase prone um, amount. Uh, the people that come in are very purchase prone. They don't have to be, you know, go back and forth and what have you. So yes, that's very true. Hmm. I'm curious. As you brought the site online, um, I I noticed that your your concept is very design focused. You you work mm-hmm. your your customers who come in work very closely with your designers. They can come in and and do entire rooms. Um, I notice on the website that you've actually incorporated that in that consumers can shop for an entire room and you've got full room pricing. I'm curious how you integrate that design experience on the website to kind of translate that that store design experience with the online design experience. Mm-hmm. That, that's true. I mean, it, that has been a work in progress uh, for several years because one of the, uh, I guess, one the way we stand out, uh, if you look at the retail uh, network, is that we, we do have very, uh, we create studios. So we don't have, you know, many furniture stores, you know, they will show products. So you will have 15 living chairs next to each other, so to speak, where we create environments so you can see how it functions together. And we are trying to, Let's say duplicate that on the website, so you have the virtual idea of how it would look in your house or your room. I think that's where your your question comes from, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, so that's really what we because we do have people 
in the store. That has always been a a big uh, to say part of our sales is that people come in and see a studio. They see a bedroom, for example, with all the you know the beds, the, the, the nightstand, the bed, the mattress, and the whole thing. And they kind of like say, you know, this is a room I want. Uh, so, so that desire to buy in store, we're trying to duplicate that online. So you do have that option. So basically, you know, I love this look, and you know, people are not always uh, super confident in interior design. They need a little help, and visualizing this, how your base can look, um, is definitely a, a plus for for what, what people are at least saying, right? Um, and and you also noticed it, so that's I'm very happy you did. Um, we are trying to do emulate that experience from the store up on the website. Well, you, you, so it's not hundred percent product focused, but you, more inspirational. Yeah, well, I, I, that's the first thing that you notice. Even the navigation of your website, um, instead of having you know living room, bedroom, financing, you know the, the the typical kinds of things that you would see structured across the top of a retail site, um, you have rooms, inspiration, interior design service. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. the first thing that you find when you come to the site is you offer people a free gift to to entice them into the design process. Mm -hmm. um, the product presentation is lifestyle focused, right? It's it's find the look, find the feel. Um, so right away, it's not about so much item merchandising as it is connecting with the consumer from the perspective of their lifestyle. And and I was yeah. I was very intrigued by that because I know a lot of retailers. Um, wrestle with with that particular challenge, right? How do you translate a store experience um, into a website experience? How do you marry those two? And and I think you've done a really effective job of that. Well, I'm very happy you say that. I mean, it's it's wonderful, <laughs> but it, but it, but it, but absolutely correct. That is what we have been trying to do. It's been a long process, to be honest. Uh, I've been now in Bow Concept for eight years, and in the beginning, I, I must admit, I think that we were more product based. Um, it, we didn't have the content uh, that was that inspirational. Th that is obviously also just how technology evolves and what we're able to do online. Um, but it is a, the primary objective with the website is obviously to create inspiration or uh, inspirational content. So I think that uh, if uh, a listener would go on both concepts, and, and let's say the inspiration tab, they find all kinds of articles in terms of what to think about when you're doing a home office or what to think about when you're doing this. So come with inspirational ideas and show this is how we can help you um, in your interior design challenge. So um, I'm glad you, you see that because that, that's obviously one of that has been one of our objectives for the past few years. Well, it's one of those things, and it's not quite what I would call gamification, but there's a certain entertainment value. Mm -hmm. um, I, one of the really good things about, say, Amazon is that it's super convenient. But as a shopping experience goes, that's not their, their forte. And it's challenging to create something that's actually fun or in, in brace, it, it draws you in. Um, I mean, you you have an NBA star here on on your website, right? When you're under people, you have style tips on how to create a multi-purpose space. Um, yeah. So there's so there's things there that that can kind of educate and entertain. And, and this is something I, I don't know um, if you're as familiar with the concept of a sales funnel that that we talk about in terms of sales yeah, process. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. And, and one of the challenges, and I've talked with a number of retailers about this, is that as the as e-commerce has become more important retailers have have had to move their focus up the sales funnel 
right? To, to attract the consumer before they're ready to make a purchase. So you have to get them at that awareness stage. And some of this content is the kind of thing that would do exactly that. So if somebody liked to decorate and just was looking for inspiration or just w- w- enjoys shopping for fun, beautiful things, or just looking, you- you've got them at that top of the sales funnel, as opposed to um, a retailer who's saying, buy this, I'll give you a discount, right? That's very much transactional focused. This is is more entertainment focused. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's true. Uh, and, and, and it is by design also. And, 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 they say by the extension of this is obviously we utilize our let's say our editorial advantage there uh, in our social media and so in order to get the word out. So because there's no doubt that and and I don't mean this in a bad way. Sorry for my language here, but you know it's typical to do on social media to pure and I liken it to product porn, basically showing a product and nothing else. But it's highly unengaging so to speak right nobody really i mean yeah it's a product but when you do something with people in it when you have an actual interior design challenge you mentioned rui hachimura the the basket uh, star from washington wizards i mean he was he's super interested in both concept and we are very big in japan and he comes from there so he asked us can can we help the outfit his apartment in dc so those things that the the people content of the as you as you said the entertainment value of it is where we see the biggest traction and the biggest engagement from our well potential and clients right so we obviously we can always use more clients <laughs> we all can <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah so, th- so that is uh, definitely by design uh, that has been worked on um, we changed our website structure about two years ago to make it more this way so it become more intuitive and more engaging uh, to browse through it. Because product itself, while we in the industry love our products, clients sometimes don't have the same emotional value to it, right? At least not until they get it in their home. So um, that's what we are trying to kind of bridge that and saying, okay, we can we engage the client on our website and then attract them to our store? Well, that was something, wasn't it? This is Trisha again for Klausner Home Furnishings. From my very first collection, I knew I'd come to the right place, that Klausner understood what I wanted to do with my furniture, how I wanted to share my recipe for comfortable living with the world. Now, let's get back to Bill McLaughlin and see what he and his guests have to share with us. I'd like to go back and talk about how much this has increased sales. Do mm-hmm. you, When you talk about the increase that you've had since you've launched this, do you think that that, that is primarily driven by e-commerce? Uh, honestly, Bill, I, I think obviously it bridged the gap in the period where we were closed. We have um, pretty much what two and a half months where the entire network was dormant, and and you know small businesses have to survive because each individual store is their own business entity. Oh, well, with a few stores in each franchise, would have. So that was important. Now it, I feel more. It is. Um, you you can probably liken it if I look at the the data on the ecom and the chat because the chat we have is also generating sales. Uh, very interesting. So they kind of work symbiotically. Um, but the, let's say the additional sales versus last year, I would say can be attributed to the to let's say the more 
on the e-com chat side. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the retail store are, are doing their business as they should, uh, uh, hopefully should. <laughs> so yes, it is, it is, it has been on top of. Um, and also what you mentioned in the beginning that our expanded uh, geographic network, or oh, sorry, not network footprint, mm-hmm. uh, has obviously added uh, additional sales to each store. So um, yeah, very exciting. I mean, now the question obviously become, and I mean, I don't think anyone wants this to continue in terms of uh, being locked in the house and working from home. Well, maybe people like working from home. Uh, I certainly don't. But uh, when you do, you need furniture, different furniture, and you might have uh, different needs. And we are obviously, together with a lot in our field, um, are seeing that. I'm sure you talk to other vendors and businesses, and they say the same thing, right? Sales have been pretty strong in the last few months. Um, but but the question is, obviously, is this sustainable? And, and hopefully, we are done with this relatively soon. And on the other side of this um, pandemic, how how does it look then? So so that's really what we are looking at right now. To say, okay, on the other side of this uh, situation, how are we then leveraging what we are learning here the last six months? Well, let me let me ask you that exact question. How are you going to leverage what you've learned the last six months? What have you learned, and how will you apply it? Well, I mean, we have. Well, we'll see, and there's a few things that popped up, uh, especially with the e-com and the closure of the business. You know, one thing uh, which I think the entire industry is struggling with now is our, you know, the the logistic um, behind it. I mean, before the customer actually get that product, I mean, the supply chain has been severely disrupted. Uh, raw materials are up significantly in price. Uh, shipping costs have increased dramatically. Uh, and that is something I think the entire industry is struggling with right now. How are we then, are we increasing prices or how are we doing this? Are we finding new suppliers? Are we changing our supply chain? So all those things are being worked on right now. Uh, we we had had major issues. Uh, for example, all our leathers are coming from Italy. And that, that locked down completely. We couldn't get raw materials. And it's still a little bit uh, of a challenge in, in a lot of our supply chain. It's not broken, but it's definitely disrupted, uh, and that creates extra lead times. You know, it's hard to get shipping containers when we have to ship stuff from Denmark to here, uh, so that adds additional time to it. Uh, so those are things that, when you get to the other end, you hopefully have found new solutions in terms of, the, let's say, uh, risk reduction on those things. I, I think that's a problem that everyone is struggling with right now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, it is a big uh, hurdle, I think, uh, the the supply chain on the back end of it. And the consumer, though, I would say, um, I mean, obviously, if you have to build a home office because you're not working from home, you cannot wait three months to get your stuff. You you need it now. Um, And that's why we sometimes will miss a sale, I must admit. Uh, Not that we have three months lead time, uh, but we, we can have it on certain items. But we do have extended lead times sometimes, um, unless we have it in inventory. So, so that is something that we do, even with the good sales numbers, we have also seen, uh, especially I would say on the e-com side, because people have a different expectation of how fast things will come. And, and just because we introduce e-com doesn't mean necessarily that we can deliver faster. If you know what I'm saying, we do, we do not have a, 
a centralized warehouse in US. So uh, regardless of whether you're doing it online or in store at the same uh, time, it's going to be delivered. So we, we, we are looking at that too. I mean, how can we reduce that? Uh, especially on our best sellers, you know, we have certain products like in any other business that it is a 80, 20 rule, right? There's a few products that stands for a large uh, part of our revenue. That's, I think that's true of all retail businesses, so, right? Yeah. So, so, so we're looking at that. And then another thing to, to answer your question is obviously how can we improve on the website? You know, is it, more full-fledged. There's certain things right now, which is not something that you had <laughs> the time to discuss and implement and find that then you have probably added a little bit more bells and whistles to it. Um, but I don't think we, we, we didn't have the time we needed to get it up and, and, and it worked excellent. So I think it, it's working, but that doesn't mean that we can improve on it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different things that can be added to it. Uh, I think as long as it's it's not unnecessary, but find the right thing that's going to enhance the client experience. That's what we're looking at uh, to help um, our virtual store, which is, it, it sounds maybe more fancy than it is, but we do have a virtual store where you can kind of browse around a actual store and see the product kind of like on your screen. Uh, that has been very popular and we are getting a lot of sales directly out of that. Um, that is something that we obviously would like to enhance uh, the question is, how do we do that? And uh, what tools, you know, some of our competitors will have uh, AR, VR capabilities. And that's obviously something that is an undeniable thing in the coming years. So it's a question of how do you implement that and which, you know, which vendors are you doing it? When should it come in and how should it work for the client? So all these questions are 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 being accelerated for us, which um, I think is very healthy as a business, right? Because it's very easy just to get stagnant. Absolutely. So the- I think the pandemic, to be honest, had a lot of silver linings. I mean, I'm, I, I don't want to diminish it because, you know, they have you have obviously hundreds of thousands of people in the U.S. who are, yeah, big time hurting. And then you have millions who are struggling also. So, so I'm not going to say that that's not... Um, really really sad mm-hmm. from a business perspective it does have positives too it, it, at least it's shown the light of interesting things that we can work on I, I, yeah it, it certainly has focused consumers attention on their homes in a way that i think we haven't seen in a number of years oh absolutely yeah yeah very, uh, very much so and, and that's great for us uh, i'm sure you um when you as you mentioned you're sitting in high point so you you talk to a lot of companies and i'm sure you will find most companies saying the same thing at least in the space that we are operating in where you have uh, you know there's a lot of people who need who suddenly sit at home all day and like oh you know that couch it might work when i was home half an hour and fell asleep on it but now i have to live here 24 <laughs> 7 yeah. it needs to be upgraded <laughs> That's, that is absolutely, that, that actually is a perfect segue to, to my next question. One of the things that so many people wrestle with right now is um, there is unprecedented demand, but at a time when you have to make forecasting decisions so much farther out in advance because of supply chain issues, you have to decide not just what you need next week or next month, but perhaps three months from now, six months from now. 
Um, I, I don't know what your specific supply chain situation is, but I, I know people who are placing orders now for Memorial Day next May. Um, it's very difficult to for a retailer to figure out what their inventory demand is going to be five, mm-hmm. six, seven months from now. Is that an issue for you? Um, is more of your business custom? How do you how do you deal with forecasting issues in this kind of an environment? Uh, I mean, Bill, it's, it's correct. I mean, we, we have a show. We have a very uh, rapid so-called forecasting things that we basically down to the week and sometimes even the day and just looking at it and say, okay, w- w- what are we needing? We are in a slightly different situation in the sense that we are a let's say a cradle to grave kind of business uh, that we have our own factories. Uh, we are only selling our own products. Uh, so, so we, we, we own the entire, and let's say the vertical chain is ours. So we don't, the, the only thing we don't have is obviously the raw material. So in the, in the very back end of the supply chain, we have to order, you know, whatever raw materials is needed, whatever fabrics and leathers and all that. Now, I don't have a full insight into that, um, but I do know since we have our own factories and all that, we we can better control it. Uh, if you have, um, and again, it depends, right? If you are a multi-brand store or multi-brand company, it's slightly different because now you have to rely on several different other companies to get that from. And then the forecasting there becomes a little bit different. Uh, we we are basically we don't have any products from other companies in our stores. It is only our own. So this is more of a raw material and um, and resource perspective in terms of how the factories are geared up and what products are selling and what is not. Uh, I must admit I don't I don't have full transparency into that. Um, sure. I, I I do have a lot of projects, but not luckily not all the way down. <laughs> so, so so yeah, I'm certainly not only working marketing; it's everything from business development to you name it, um, because we are very resource um, thin, so to speak here. But it, luckily, I don't work in the raw material sourcing and um, <laughs> and there, so I I do not have the full insight to that. But but yes, we do have to do. I mean, much higher level of uh, forecasting for what's uh, needed on the midterm and the long term, for sure. Sure. Speaking of, of long term, you're about to open store number 15. Your mm-hmm. website is identifying new opportunities. Um, mm-hmm. If I if I were to look at your level acti- of activity here in the U.S., I, I would hypothesize that there has been a strategic decision made that there is opportunity for significant growth here within the U.S. market. And that you are positioning, or that the 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 company is being positioned for some significant growth in the and and adding a number of stores in the coming years. So, since you use a franchise model, I'm curious how you get new franchisees and and what that process is. So, let's say theoretically, there's a retailer out there somewhere who has a store, and they they would like to either open a bow concept store, or they'd like to take their store and redo it because whatever they're doing isn't working. What mm-hmm. would that process look like for somebody starting to approach or, or con- conceiving yeah. about joining a, the Boat Concept team, so to speak? Yeah, I, I probably have to go slightly back in history here because we did have more stores if you look five years back. But I think, uh, well, now you see, now I'm going to end up throwing people under the bus, and I don't want to do that. But you know, we we used to have an idea of you know we we've. Anyone who was interested, I'm not anyone, but 
as the person who was interested in a franchisee, we definitely vetted them and all that, but we were not maybe as stringent in terms of the capabilities to expand, um, the capabilities to have the financial backing to survive uh, periods where you're gone, which you will have, right? Uh, so what we're looking at now is more of the, let's say, the movie setup where we have a multi-unit operator. Um, that is really a, a, a must in many times. It really depends on, it doesn't have to be from the beginning. Obviously, you open one store, you can't open five at the same time. But having the, the wherewithal, both financially, uh, strategically, and also uh, the capabilities to expand in the territory is very important when we identify franchisees. Uh, we do have a business development department in Denmark who who are working with this. I obviously end up touching it many times um, because of of my role in the company. But they are all sourced back to the business development department, and they will look for you know uh, people, companies uh, who who have the say the capability of expanding in a set territory. Because you're correct. I mean, our footprint, even if 14 stores is nothing in the United States, I mean, with a market that is in the hundreds of billions, right? I mean, if you look at the bedding and furniture market, what is it, 115 billion by mm-hmm. today or something? Yeah. Uh, we are a minuscule, tiny player in that space. So, yes, there's room to grow. Granted, we are in a segment which is the modern contemporary segment. So, that's not obviously the full market. But if you look by coastal uh, Chicago, why are we not in Chicago? We should be there. Why are we not in Austin? We should be there. Why are we not in, you know, Las Vegas? We should be there. So there's definitely room to grow. But I think we learned a lesson also because it's not good for the brand if you are closing stores as well. So we need to find partners who who have the, let's say, the ability uh, to continue and to expand because the economy of scale in this business is also uh, highly important uh, on that one. So when you say, how do we find it? Uh, we used to go to the franchise fairs. We used to try to, uh, we worked with a consultant group to find it. Uh, that did not necessarily um, turn out to be great. So it's a little bit more from uh, coming from inside out here, trying to find it. And we do get requests uh, quite often. Because it it is such a fun product to work with, I think, uh, obviously. <laughs> but um, it, it is it, it is a it's a unique franchise concept we have. Um, so we do have people. I mean, I would hope that somebody listens to this. Saying, hey, we are obviously willing to take that talk because there's a lot of uh, let's say white spaces in the United States for sure. Well, and I, I think the market for contemporary furniture, if you look at some of the design trends that we've seen the last few years, um, you know, whether it's mid-century modern or, mm-hmm. um, you know, even more contemporary than that, that certainly seems to be a segment that particularly for younger consumers um, is growing in popularity. Absolutely. I mean, we have seen that too. I mean, uh, the, the the taste for this product uh, is definitely increasing. So. Uh, again, I mean, it is a, it is that's a taste preference. What you like, right? I mean, do you like a big opulent sofa? Or do you like a sleek? Uh, and some people will say, well, that looks cold, and other people will say, well, I me being Danish, I mean, I grew up with this, so I think it the, the only furniture I would want. So, so that's the taste preference. But you're right. I mean, especially in the 
in the urban areas or in the metropolitan areas, such as San Francisco or Chicago or New York, Miami, those places, there's a huge market for this. Um, so absolutely correct. Um, so, so there's definitely room to grow, and we are looking at expansion plans uh, also within our current franchisee network, how they can expand within their territories. Um, but, but obviously, if we look at 15 stores by 1st of January, that means that there's a ton of room, a ton of room. Now, not every city uh, is uh, not worthwhile, it's the wrong term, but uh, not every city might cater to this one because you do need a, you know, we are not that well known. Um, so that's another obstacle, obviously. But um, there's certainly, uh, I could mention 50 cities where I think that we should be. Oh, e- easily. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just about finding so. the right demographics and uh, the the right style. You know, the light, the right uh, style preferences within that consumer base. But yeah, I, I think fifty cities is probably uh, a conservative estimate given the the breadth of the United yeah, States. And, and we do. We have obviously, um, uh, you know, in our peer group, or in our consumer group, say a competitor group. Like you would say, we normally will look at. Companies like Design Within Reach, um, you know, they have the same, a lot of Danish product in their assortment. So that's obviously something we look at, uh, you know, room and board to a certain degree, restoration hardware on the modern line, and those kind of players, and then the Italian and the French companies as well, and seeing where they are successful. That's uh, because we tend to cluster around them and the other way around, depending on what country we're in. Um, because we are the same, not the same, but, you know, within the same design affinity uh, group. Right. Um, so, yeah. Well, good. This I think this is going to be uh, the beginning of a, a series of great conversations. I look forward to tracking your growth and the evolution of your website and uh, the expansion of Boat Concept within the U.S. Thank you very yeah. much for taking well, the time. I hope that we get to speak again, Bill. Uh, it, it was a pleasure. And I, I really appreciate you inviting me on. Oh, absolutely. I, I appreciate you coming on and I look forward to talking to you when there's 17 and 20 and 35 and 50 stores. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm crossing my fingers as we speak. Thank you very much. Well, my guest All has right. been my guest has been Steen Nicker, Director of Marketing, U.S. Marketing for Bo Concept. Thank you for taking the time with us today and uh, thank you for listening to On the Record.